Welcome back to another installment of the podcast for cultural reformation brought to you by the Ezra Institute. This is Worldview Wednesday. Our host for today's episode is Nathan Oblak. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Colossians 2, verse 8. Welcome back to the podcast for Cultural Reformation. I'm Nathan Oblak, and I'm once again joined by Ryan Aris and Dr. Joe Boot. And man, guys, it has been busy around here as of late, has it not? What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> well, Ryan, maybe you showed up for work. Uh, oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> Fair. Fair. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's certainly been a very, very busy time, but uh, it's good busy. But a good time, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're gearing up for a, a bunch of programs and conferences, and I mean, our Mission of God conference is coming up in just a few days. That's it's, right. It's uh, very hard to believe, but... Uh, Tickets are still available. They're mm-hmm. still available, yeah, on our website, EzraInstitute.com. Um, so go there, uh, grab your tickets, join us this weekend, coming up quickly. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're really excited. Speakers are flying in as we speak to be at the program and uh, happening this Saturday. And, uh, I mean, just a few weeks after the conference, we're then headed off to Western Canada for our H. Evan Runner International Academy in Golden. Uh, Golden British Columbia, and I mean that program is essentially full at this point. That's so right. Praise the Lord for that. Yeah, yep. I think and, we've got, uh, we've got a, one or two more meetings with delegates that's scheduled. Right. But that's uh, right. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And I mean that being said, we'd do our best to squeeze in uh, one or two if there were any last minute uh, registrations. But we've got uh, people coming from all over Canada. We've got a few coming from the UK, and uh, even some coming from the United States. They were a few able to manage to. To cross the border, cross well. into uh, <laughs> north, uh, north Korea. I was going to say north Korea, uh, yeah. north of the 49th parallel. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we must have a really, in. we must have a really solid program for Americans to want to make it this way. <laughs> that is true. Mm-hmm. So we're glad to have them join us. And uh, yeah, just a few days after that program, uh, before we head back here to Southern Ontario, we've got our Mission of God Conference West happening in Edmonton, Alberta. And that's happening Saturday, June 18th. And we've got Joe, uh, Andre Shooten, Andrew Sandlin joining us as speakers. And again, you can get uh, tickets for that conference on our website, EzraInstitute.com. And uh, moving on to today's conversation, uh, it, it's a big topic we're hoping to cover here, critical theory. And uh, we recognize there's no way we can, we can cover that topic in one episode. So we're planning on this being a, a bit of a mini-series, maybe a two-parter. Uh, for this conversation, but we've we've had so much demand from churches and Christian schools uh, for some clarity uh, from us on on the topic. There's so much confusion about it, and uh, really confusion even in the sense from some people. Do I do I even need to respond to this? So of course there are things like political correctness, critical race theory, uh, social justice, queer theory. Pe- people are being bombarded. And they're certainly being bombarded even in Christian schools. Um, I mean, sad to say, some Christian schools have already clearly fallen victim to some of this, um, you know, some of these ideas. And, um, and the churches, too. I mean, and the churches, too. Absolutely. Caving left and right to the, to the agenda. Right, yeah. And uh, of course, we're hearing about that all the time here at the ministry. And uh, a lot of uh, people within 
these schools and churches are reaching us, reaching out to us saying, you know, this, here's this PD session I have to take part in. Uh, I recognize this stinks, but I don't really know how to respond to it. And uh, so we're hoping to bring some clarity to that uh, in the next few episodes. Mm-hmm. And uh, really, what, why, don't, why don't we be- begin here with our conversation, just um, thinking about and, and hopefully providing some clarity on uh, some of the religious ideas uh, that lie at root uh, of all of these different ideas and concepts that I've just mentioned. Uh, there really there is a unifying religious root behind all of these uh, various ideas that people are, are um, being confronted with. So Joe, why don't you start us off uh, with some comments on that? Yeah, I think the difficulty for people at the moment, or one of the difficulties for, for Christians especially, is uh, we've tended to see all of these different things, you know, white privilege, right. um, critical, theory, uh, critical race theory, social mm-hmm. justice, mm-hmm. Uh, queer theory, intersectionality, mm-hmm. all these different terms. Truth and, and Reconciliation ideas. Day. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Even things that sound, almost sound innocuous right. like that, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is, again, uh, all about uh, drawing attention to the alleged sins and failures of western civilization right right um they tend to be seen as bits and pieces and mm-hmm. even very uh well-meaning and competent christians often um uh have fallen prey to thinking that um these things we need to give them credence or we need to give way to them in some way um and there's certainly a failure to have a, uh, an understanding of what these things are and how they're united. So actually, they appear to be bits and pieces scattered mm-hmm. here and there. Mm-hmm. But in fact, they are all rooted in a particular religious vision uh, of the world. And uh, there's, a, there's an ideological framework. There's a set of concepts that lie, that unify all of these ideas. And I think that's probably what we want to do on today's show is talk mm-hmm. a little bit about... Um, what those unifying ideas actually are. Um, before we come to that, I think it's probably helpful to, to, to reflect on what we've talked about before on the show in the past as we sort of try and teach Christian worldview and, and, uh, and Christian philosophy, mm-hmm. is that non-Christian thought is always dialectical mm-hmm. in character. Mm-hmm. Non-Christian philosophy is always dialectical in character, and that right. means and that We've used that term before. Uh, thinking yeah. back to our episodes covering reformational thought, but it probably bears uh, defining again Absolutely. for people, just because yeah. it is a yeah. it is a technical term, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it, it it really has to do with the idea that there are two poles in thought, two opposing po- uh, opposing poles that are constantly trying to be reconciled with one another, but don't appear to be reconcilable. Uh, and uh, some of those, um, the way that the, that dialectical character has expressed itself in non-Christian thought has been this swing in Western thought from rationalism mm-hmm. to irrationalism mm-hmm. and back again in yeah. this sort of pendulum swing right. from, uh, and, and these track with each other. So rationalism to irrationalism, constancy being emphasized, and then change. This goes all the way back to, Parmenides and Heraclitus in right. Greek philosophy. Don't step in the same river twice. That's right. Yeah. So that was, I think, Heraclitus. That's and right. Parmenides is, was all about fixed constancy, um, that the change was an illusion. And then, uh, so rationalism, irrationalism, constancy, change, nature or determinism, and freedom. Uh, these 
um, poles are in tension with one another. They, they're not reconcilable in the non-Christian way of thinking about mm. the world. And so what happens is, invariably, you have a period that, say, emphasizes rationalism and is responded to. The pendulum begins. It calls forth a counter-reaction mm. in the other pole of thought, irrationalism. You have a period where constancy is emphasized, and then you have a reaction in, in the other pole of inconstancy, of change. So mm-hmm. the, the idea is that everything is flux. Uh, you have an emphasis on nature, the sort of, think about the, 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 um, the idea of a pure, unimpeachable, indubitable mathematics of the 19th century. Uh, nature as a sort of mechanism, as a kind of predictable machine. Uh, and the sort of counter reaction to that idea of nature in terms of now the radical notion of freedom and the freedom of the human personality. And so as we talk about what uh, we're going to explain is critical theory, capital C, capital T, and we'll come to that shortly, mm-hmm. I think it's important to to emphasize that these ideas, these these critical theories, grew out of a disillusionment with the Enlightenment, the rationalism of the Enlightenment, and the uh, the social order or the culture that they uh, these theorists believe the Enlightenment produced. So, um, as we often say on on our program, you know, in all of these erroneous uh, worldviews and these erroneous philosophies, they're usually getting at something that has a partial truth there's a small measure of truth right that's what makes them compelling to some people convincing to some people gives them a certain amount of social force uh gives them a certain amount of um persuasiveness is that they uh these these false ideas when you look at them in toto because they're disconnected from christ uh will often contain a, a, a modicum a kernel of truth that's pushed to an extreme that becomes an egregious error. Mm. And, and, th- and that's kind of evidence in and of itself that for um, the Imago Dei, all human beings, by virtue of being human, made in the image of God, have an innate sense that think things are not as they should be. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's one one uh, effort to answer or to respond to that uh, that inescapable sensation. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, even if you think about the the mundane uh, realities of political life, and you look at uh, you know almost every political campaign of the late modern era, it's all uh, uh, built around change, change yeah. mm-hmm. and uh, you know building a better life for people. Mm-hmm which of course presupposes that something is wrong um, and that we're falling short of something, we're missing the mark. Mm -hmm. Um, The problem that uh, we'll see that the critical theorists have is that they're trying to critique from midair. You know, know, they want want to do criticism Mm -hmm. of a particular kind uh, but without any real foundation to do so, so we, you know, we can come back to that. But mm-hmm. um, well, even we we brought up Truth and Reconciliation Day, which for our UK and American listeners, that's now a national holiday in Canada, and uh, we're all about truth and reconciliation. The, that's these, right. These are good things, um, but but what they're proposing is not rooted in Christ and His Word. Well, as is the case with um, again uh, most of these kinds of ideas is they try and parody mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. of 
the Christian world and life view. So we often speak about the kind of inescapable concepts, mm. the inescapable ideas that the Christian worldview, the Bible gives to us. Mm. You know, when we talk about social justice, you know, those sounds like those sound like really good words, right? Mm -hmm. And for Christians, they're invested with the idea of, uh, or should be, with God's idea of what justice and righteousness uh, really mean. But in these parodies, they are radically subverted. The biblical idea of justice is radically subverted in the contemporary idea of social justice. Truth and Reconciliation Day sounds wonderful on the face of it to Christians yeah. because the Bible speaks a great deal about truth. Mm -hmm. And of course, reconciliation is one of the central themes of Scripture of redemption. God was in Christ mm -hmm reconciling the world to himself so we believe in reconciliation but for us that means rest of reconciliation from our um, alienation from god mm. from our fall into sin and ruin uh, and our separation from god through the work of christ through the complete work of christ we are being reconciled to god when they speak about truth and reconciliation on truth and reconciliation day these popular ideas they mean that uh, we must speak a new truth about uh, Christian civilization, the history of Christianity, the history of uh, Western culture, um, to subvert the historic understanding of what um, Western civilization has been about. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, reconciliation means the creation of a radically egalitarian society right. and social order, mm -hmm. which inverts the idea of um, what they believe to be the oppressive circumstances that, right. that currently exist, mm -hmm. and the oppressor must become the oppressed in order for there to be reconciliation. So the meaning of reconciliation is radically subverted. I was just re reading in the, the Telegraph, actually, in England this week, um, that um, there are calls, because it's the, the Queen's Jubilee, mm. uh, Platinum Jubilee, I think That's it is, right. yeah. coming up now uh, in June, um, and there is a bit of a Jubilee tour going on. Right. Um, we're in a situation where there are calls for the royal family to apologize mm -hmm. uh, all over the place, apologize in the Caribbean for uh, the historic existence of slavery, even though it was the same nation, Britain, that abolished was the only civilization. Western civilization is the only civilization in the history of man to turn on and abolish slavery yeah um yeah. anti-slavery is the outlier like, <laughs> that's right, yeah, right. exactly yeah. historically and so that civilization is being called upon to repent for apologize and pay reparations for the existence of slavery that took place throughout the world and let me say including africa uh the 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 um man theft and enslavement which the bible condemns and in fact emphatically if you look at exodus 19 through 21 you'll see that uh, man theft and enslavement is punished by death in the bible mm -hmm. and it's uh, and it's condemned throughout scripture we haven't got time now to talk about the difference between uh, the biblical idea of service of service of, of, of bond service and um and uh, chattel slavery which went on as a product of enlightenment rationalism and again that's a another story um but there you've got these calls for reconciliation means that the Christian West must pay reparations, mm. uh, even though Africans stole Africans from the interior mm. because they were a slave culture and right. sold them to European traders. That doesn't matter because that's not, that doesn't matter. That doesn't count. The only thing that counts is what the Christian West 
did. Mm-hmm. And there's calls also in their visits to Canada for uh, the royal family to apologize for residential schools. And of course, we know, uh, I mean, scripture, as we've said, condemns the evil of man theft and enslavement. When biblical Christianity gained ascendancy, it was abolished uh, through men like William Wilberforce. Um, we know that there were all kinds of problems when the state tried to act in an unchristian way, rejected the principles of sphere sovereignty, and believed that the state should control government education, basically. I mean, we, mm-hmm. we, the same governments promote this like crazy mm-hmm. today mm-hmm. to try and take away people's parental choice and freedom, which is exactly what the residential schools mm-hmm. were actually about, in part, is the government control of education and then taking... In some instances, not all, many uh, children went there voluntarily because the schools were in their area. There were many wonderful things that those schools did and accomplished. There were also many problems with them. And it would be worth doing a whole episode just on that subject. Just on that subject would be good to, to deal with. What we What's never said in these articles is that these so-called unmarked graves were not unmarked graves. They were graves with wooden crosses mm. that deteriorated over time and that the clergy and the nuns and the people that worked there were frequently buried in the same place. Mm. And that um, uh, when what they don't discuss is the Spanish flu and the various viruses that were going around were rampant at the time. Um, nobody wants to hear about that. Truth and reconciliation, because truth and reconciliation is actually still not about providing clean water to many of these people. It's mm-hmm. still, still not happening. Mm-hmm. The government, with all of its talk about its love for our indigenous population, don't actually solve the issues. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is, about, again, about actually a, an ideology that stems from white European intellectuals who hate mm-hmm. Christianity, mm-hmm. Uh, it's not out of love for indigenous people or of uh, people struggling with any number of different sexual sins or people of different cultural backgrounds. This is about the imposition of a neo-Marxist ideology that is atheistic Mm -hmm. um, upon the West to overturn and subvert what's left of the, of the, of the Christian Christian order. And they're, they're, taking advantage of what Ryan mentioned earlier, that even the secularist is made in the image of God and recognize that something is broken, that there needs to be reconciliation. So they're not interested in genuine reconciliation. Not at all. Yeah. In fact, it's about driving, as we will discuss over the next uh, few weeks, this is all about driving a wedge between people. It's about separating mm-hmm. people. It's about turning people against one another. Mm-hmm. It's about creating a radical rift within society. In fact, it's all rooted in conflict theory mm-hmm. within Marxism, which mm-hmm. is all about you bring about revolution by by producing radical conflict in society. Um, and that's part of the route to social revolution. So I think, Nathan, your opening illustration, Truth and Reconciliation Day, mm is almost the best one we could have started with in terms of an illustration of the total hypocrisy and subversion involved here, the subversion of the English language, Mm -hmm. the subversion Mm -hmm. of theological concepts into now radically subversive revolutionary and atheistic concepts. Right. Yeah. So Joe, maybe you can uh, speak to that uh, more in depth. Like what are, what are the foundations of this movement? Where, where do they, where do they begin? What, what is the religious root here? That's probably a question that um, has been neglected in a lot of the even contemporary Christian discussions around this, um, even in sort of what we might call the popular evangelical circles. You know, there's not 
that there, there tends to be a neglect of a deep dive, as in all of these areas, into religious roots, which is what we're about as a ministry, mm-hmm. uh, religious foundations. Right, and again, that kind of goes back to what I said at the beginning, where a lot of people reaching out to us, uh, looking for clarity on these issues, are mm-hmm. often their questions begin with, should I even worry about this? Is this right. of concern to me? Yeah, and yeah, it's I, actually interesting just to, uh, and thank you for all your questions, by the way. Mm-hmm. Please do keep uh, keep sending them in. We read them all. Mm-hmm. But in, in previous episodes, uh, previous questions that we'll get, they deal with specific questions. Mm-hmm. Whereas with, with this question of critical theory right. or any of these other sort of vaguely defined casserole of terms like social justice or wokeism or sure. these relics, we casserole, sense, we, I like yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, we sense that they are related or might right. be related, but questions are always some form of what you said, Nate. What, mm. what do I do with this? Is this right. something that I need to engage with? Right. And they're telling us things like I'm, I'm being told by administration or even elders in the church that no critical race theory, it's, it's just a tool we're using. It's a neutral mm. tool in which we use to, to view, you know, our, is, yep. is there an oppressive class here that we're unaware of? So it's not religious uh, in character. It, it's mm. just a framework we're using to, to, to view certain issues coming through our church or school. Well, it's very much become a Trojan horse because mm. this, this is the fundamental reality. So um, one of the most important pioneers uh, of critical theory was a, a German philosopher named Max Horkheimer, his dates are 1895 to uh, 1973. He's a German philosopher, sociologist, and he was one of the key pioneers of um, a, a movement, uh, a school known as the Frankfurt School for Social Research. And uh, we've talked about the Frankfurt School before, That's right. but this gives us an opportunity to talk about some of uh, the ideas and some of the persons in a bit more detail. But they were a group of Marxist intellectuals, basically, who shared uh, the, the, the Marxist ideal that philosophy um, is a pointless uh, discipline unless it's made practical. So Karl Marx, you recall, said that, you know, philosophy has been concerned up till now with describing the world. What I want to do, he said, is change it. Mm-hmm. So the this is what they mean by by making philosophy practical. Now, we would say there's a degree of truth in that, that actually a truly Christian philosophy is has multiple practical applications. And uh, uh, if we don't recognize that, we're in serious trouble. But the Marx, in many respects, was, a, was a, an incredibly cons, uh, consistent atheist in some respects, in that he really wanted to work out a kind of philosophy of history, an eschatology that was atheistic that uh, was bastardizing, was aping the Christian view of reality. And uh, by making um, philosophy practical, what they meant was you are changing practices within society through which society realizes its ideals. So the basic basic idea is that it's it's the functioning of society in the day-to-day that shapes its ideals. The social norms, the customs, the everyday practices is what's actually shaping people's minds mm-hmm. and shaping their ideals. Now, again, as Christians, we would say, well, there's a partial truth in that. Mm-hmm. I mean, Mary Abishtart's book, How the West Really Lost God, yeah. uh, an excellent study, points out that it's not just when people stop believing in God that the family collapses. 
She says, when families collapse because of the collapse of parenting and of, of, our, of a proper idea of fatherhood, we stop believing in God the Father. So there is a reciprocal relation, she pointed out, between unbelief um, and what happens to the family, and then the erosion of the family more generally, and then the growth and proliferation of unbelief. So again, we would say there's a half-truth here. Um, and so the, the, the idea was essentially that you can ferment social revolution by changing societal practices, which will change the ideals which then guide society. And so what the, what the Frankfurt School did, what these sort of neo-Marxists did, was they brought together um, philosophy and the social sciences in terms of an atheistic, materialistic worldview. And initially what they were doing was combining uh, Marxist and um, Freudian uh, ideas in, in psychology and psychoanalysis. They brought those up, which is why it's so the, 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 the critical theorists are so obsessed with sexuality and identity. They're bringing together the Marxist ideals, which of course Marx and Engels were committed to the destruction of the family as we understood it. Um, and then later on, after the, 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 these initial luminaries of the Frankfurt School, deconstruction in language gets added. Uh, and the idea is that through these, these uh, tools, a new social order could be realized. Now, Horkheimer, very interestingly, wrote a short essay. Um, and in his book, Critical Theory Selected Essays, he, he has a piece on his thoughts on religion, which mm. I found quite interesting to read. Um, now, obviously, as a, as a Marxist, as a materialist, as an atheist, he obviously is going to deny the first thing that we posit as Christians. There's no God. Therefore, there's no God-given norms. There are no God-given laws governing creation and social order. All there is is this material existence of nature and the material existence of society. And as a result, like almost all of these people, he assumes a kind of neutral, critical posture, right? Interesting. He's not religious, right? <laughs> right. He's offering his thoughts on religion because right. he's occupying this neutral, mm -hmm. critical posture. Mm -hmm. uh, he seems oblivious, actually, in this article to his own religious worldview. He actually describes religion, and I quote, as the record of the wishes, desires, and accusations of countless generations. Mm. So it's a purely human product. And it emerges from our wishes, desires, accusations over many, many generations. And of course, the target of Horkheimer's criticism of religion, do you think it's Islam? Mm. Do you think it's Hinduism? Mm -hmm. Do you think it's Buddhism? No, the target is in particular Protestant Christianity. Um, he's German after all. He's criticizing, he's, he's opposed to, he's wanting to overturn Protestant German culture, which was, of course, rooted in uh, Lutheranism. Right. And why might that be, Joe? Well, I mean, fundamentally, it's rooted in unbelief. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, these ideas, Scripture is pretty plain, you know, that, that set mm -hmm. themselves up against the knowledge of God, overtly against the knowledge of God. Mm -hmm. Um, are strongholds. Paul describes them as in in uh, in his letter to the Corinthians. I think first or second, uh, first Corinthians. I think could be second, um, where he talks about um, uh, ideas that set themselves up against the knowledge of God that we need to take captive. 
these strongholds are demonic. Mm. And there's no there's no mistaking the the demonic character of uh, these these theories, and uh, of course the the root of Marxist thought. Um, it's so anti God, it's so anti Christ, and uh, that that really comes through in the in the work of of, of critical theorists. So uh, his target is Protestant Christianity. There's no creator, and I, therefore there's no creation order for the family. The church, civil government, mm. economic life. There's no normativity. So all the right. things that we discuss right. and talk mm. about from the Christian perspective, right. that doesn't exist. Right. None right. of it exists. It's an effort to rid ourselves of all of these laws and norms. Yeah. Right. Now, you isn't, know, isn't that fascinating, parenthetically, that mm-hmm. in, in Horkheimer's uh, uh, formulation there, it's a direct, uh, direct correlation. No God, therefore no law. Right. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, it takes me back, it took me back in my mind to the work of the late Roger Scruton, the English philosopher, uh, who talked about the nonsense machine. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, <laughs> don't, don't try and uh, assign or discover meaning in all of this, he says, because it is the machine to annihilate meaning. Right. And, you know, perhaps in, in another show, we can do a bit of a, a sort of an apologetic critique of the self-contradictory nature of criticizing from a normless Mm-hmm. from a world without God, without norms, right. mm-hmm. um, uh, the self-defeating character and nature of that. But but suffice to say, from a religious point of view, there's no normativity, and there's, of course, no ruler of the course of history. There's no God. There's no sovereign God, no providence in the affairs of human beings. So what he does, because, of course, um, you can't you can't sort of simply be in denial about all of the social transformation that Christians have brought about in the history of the Western world, we've already mentioned William Wilberforce and the abolition of the slave trade uh, eventually throughout the entire British Empire. Mm-hmm. Um, so in order to account for that, he, he acknowledges the role Christianity in this article played in earlier generations in challenging injustice. But this is what he says. The productive, and I'm quoting, the productive kind of criticism of the status quo, which found expression in earlier times, as a belief in a heavenly judge mm. today takes the form of a struggle for more rational forms of societal life. There it is. End quote. <laughs> right. So, um, although it, and there's an irony here because in the, on the one hand, critical theory is a reaction to rationalism, but they, but at the same time, they're saying they want a more rational mm. approach to societal life than Christianity has to offer. Essentially, this is the Marxist character of it because the struggle for a better world, Horkheimer says, has thrown off its religious garb. So, yeah, sure, there was a phase of Christianity where some injustices were challenged. He doesn't give a criterion uh, for justice there in anything that would be, we consider, objective. Uh, it's now a, a man's rational effort to, and, and, and his effort at bringing about justice has thrown off all of this re- religious garb. So again, total unconsciousness about his own religious assumptions, right. his own religious presuppositions. But that Marxist idea that as, you, as human beings move through history, they lose their religion, mm-hmm. you know, that it disappears, mm-hmm. is very much at the root of uh, the Frankfurt School and critical theory and all of its various branches. And... Um, that then he he then seeks to account for the church's position in the western world don't forget he's writing in the earlier part of the 20th century mid 20th century so at that point the church enjoyed 
a much more influential place than it presently does. And I mean, just before or just after World War II, the, the church held a much more a prominent place in the, the social order in terms of its influence. Uh, so he says, but the the, uh, the 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 Western Church, its its position in society rested on simply on the reality of the present social system. Remember what I said earlier. It's the social system and customs that shape the ideals. So the only reason the church has this influence is its place within custom and within the social order. Change that system and the church is finished. That was uh, Horkheimer's view. So um, since, um, uh, uh, he says, and I quote, uh, the, the, the historic influence rested on, quote, the belief that absolute justice is not simply a projection of men's minds, but a real eternal power. Um, that's why the church has an influence. Uh, justice is, is, uh, is a, really a projection of the mind of man. It's not an eternal power. So you dispense with, the, the, you change the social system, people will cease to believe in absolute justice rooted in an eternal power, and it will now be something that man is bringing about. So he emphatically denies absolute justice. That's an illusion. There's no God who will judge the living and the dead. There's no Christ who will be raised from the dead, as Paul says to the philosophers in Acts 17, uh, and who, will, uh, who, who has overlooked the time of ignorance, but is now calling all men to repent because he set a tie, he set a date for judgment. That's not going to happen. So this is a purely human project for Horkheimer. And in a very telling, I think, example of his so-called critical posture and, uh, and his really his being in denial of his own religious assumptions and presuppositions, this is what Horkheimer concludes uh, in this short essay, Thoughts on Religion. He says, and I quote, <laughs> listen to this, in a really free mind, the concept of infinity is preserved in an awareness of the finality of human life and of the inalterable aloneness of men. The finality of human life and the, that's the idea of the infinite, mm. is the total finality of your life. That's all there is, just a material mm. existence and the unalterable, uh, inalterable aloneness of men. Wow. You're alone, there's no mm. God, it's only man. And so it, it, you've got, the, it, this is the essence, essence of atheism, it's the essence of humanism. Mm. And I think it's vital that we start there in talking about critical theory because, mm -hmm. you know, frankly, shame on those mm -hmm. Christians who have tried to import this apostasy mm -hmm. uh, into the life of the church. You know, if it's out of ignorance, we can be patient. Mm -hmm. If it's not out of ignorance, we cannot have any patience with this. Mm -hmm. uh, it's built on... Uh, assumptions that we are unalterably alone the present life and visible world is all there is there's no god-given laws there's no god-given norms for man and society there's no eternal god who is judge there's no government of god in history there's no kingdom of god there's no salvation in and through christ and so that bleak situation for the materialist for the for the atheist for for the for the critical theorist means that in a world like that, there is a demand, there is a requirement that man's collective idea realizes justice and implements it, right? Man must now make his idea of justice practical because there's no God, there's no kingdom of God, there's no Christ, there's no Holy Spirit, there's no church of the living God. Mm. Um, and there is only history. 
Now, if there's no God at the end of history to bring all men into judgment, what becomes the final court of appeal? History itself. Judgment must now be imminentized radically now in history. So justice can never be absolute. It's always on the horizon. Absolute justice is an illusion. So don't forget, in this kind of society that they envisage, in this this society of social justice, there is always going to be an endless supply of critical theories because you never arrive at the totally egalitarian, truly just society. It's always on the horizon. It's never realized. You're always striving toward justice as something that is an impossible realization. So you're never free from there's always somebody to condemn. There's always an oppressor to overthrow. There's always this infinite aloneness of man trying to realize his own liberation, his own emancipation from the oppression of history. So history is now the final court of appeal. That's why it's so um, unforgiving. It's why this worldview is so uh, vociferous, demanding, unrelenting, Mm -hmm. um, uh, intolerant, um, and profoundly oppressive is that history alone is the the place of final judgment it's the it's the final court of appeal it's where uh, justice must be demanded mm-hmm. and endlessly demanded mm-hmm. in man's social history because mm-hmm. it's never arrived at mm-hmm. it's a kind of hell right basically yeah. yep. uh that that they're, they're turning history into right. so but in the name of solidarity with wretchedness man emancipates himself he saves himself as the self-creating producer of his own history. And of course, that's core to all forms of Marxism, including this kind of Marxism. Man is the self-creating producer of his own history. And there again, you have this half-truth that's involved. We recognize the historical cultural aspect of human experience, the cultural mandate, Mm -hmm. the dominion mandate to rule and subdue, that we have a role in formation within history. And we can do that either in obedience in faithfulness to God or in apostasy. Mm -hmm. This is the essence of apostasy, to try and shape history in ultimate rebellion against God. The problem is the Christian is moving and should be moving in line with and in terms of God's purposes and kingdom within history, and as such moves within the stream in which God is fulfilling his purpose. This impossible scenario of the critical theorist is to swim upstream against God's purpose for history and therefore is always destructive and um, dystopian. Mm-hmm. Well, and we've talked uh, at length earlier uh, in this season about absolutizing one of the aspects of human experience. Is this an example of absolutizing the historical aspect? Yes, there's um, definitely. Mm, okay. There's a, there's a few absolutizations that go on because yeah. sometimes the absolutizations are not just of one aspect, but mm-hmm. two or three combined. Right. And, um, but I would say the dominant one is the one you've picked up on. Mm. Uh, an absolutization of the historical, cultural, formative power of man right. that now man's will, his idea is everything. Right. And uh, he, he will impose that will mm on reality and remake it in terms of his right. idea. Now, the in, social aspect is there, but it's in flux. Yes, there, all of the aspects are involved, yeah. but the one that's the, that appears to be the leading uh, uh, motive here mm. is to take that historical cultural aspect mm. as the thing which is going to reshape all of 
um, reality. Mm. Um, in some of form, some forms of critical theory, you know, they take the lingual aspect and say, well, we're mm, going to use right. that to, uh, to to remake reality. So you've got a combining of some of the functions of, that we have in human life within God's creation mm. and lifting them out mm. as the explainer for all reality mm. and certainly the historical culture is is at the heart of the marxist notion and that's how they're going to look at economics and look at social order and look at everything mm. yeah and joe i mean you mentioned hockheimer you mentioned uh marx the frankfurt school i'm sure there are many others involved in the formation of critical theory but maybe now might be a good time to actually lay out clearly for our listeners what is critical theory exactly mm. Like what category of things does it belong to? Exactly. Mm. Yeah. What What is that uh, principle that uh, is is at root behind all of these? these so concepts? <clears throat> maybe what we could do is um, is sort of give a very uh, brief definition of, of of critical theory. Talk mm. about how the way they use the term critical and theory, mm-hmm. and then next time when we talk about uh, at least in the next show that we deal with, I think we may have a, a, a something else for next week, but mm-hmm. then we come back yeah. to yeah. Um, um, our discussion of critical theory, we right. can maybe deal with and discuss some of the luminaries mm-hmm. uh, and then some of the practical consequences, but maybe we wrap this up by just by just mm-hmm. giving a sort of um, a, a simple definition. So, so narrowly defined, if we were just to f- define it very narrowly, critical theory identifies um, a founding and then a couple of other uh, subsequent generations of largely German Mm -hmm. and some Hungarian social theorists and philosophers um, who have operated within the Marxist tradition, um, in particular of conflict theory. Um, You'll you'll remember that for for Marx himself, the fundamental conflict was uh, between the 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 bourgeois and the and and, and the proletariat, the you know, the capitalist um, society and the and the workers, mm. um, the critical theories work off that they riff off this same off this same idea that the fundamental way to account for human reality and human society and culture is conflict. Um, so it's built on that. We've said it was that 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 it's popularly known as the Frankfurt School, founded in 1923. Uh, at Frankfurt University in Germany as the Institute for Social Research. And there are a whole group, a whole bunch of um, uh, individuals that uh, were part of that movement. And I think we'll, we'll, we'll discuss some of those next time, some of those people and the contributions, that the ideas that they brought to bear. Um, but essentially, these, the, all of the, 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 the critical theorists and the, those who emerged from the Frankfurt School uh, advanced critical theories, plural. And and so we need to note the way in which they used the term critical and the way in which they used the term theory to kind of give people a, a clear idea. So when we when we use the word critical, um, we tend to think in terms of, of criticism, mm-hmm. you know, social criticism. Mm-hmm. So, oh, there's an interesting... Uh, um, situation let's discuss that let's let's critique that idea um that's one use of the term criticism but uh but the the way in which the the critical theorists capital c capital t are using it in critical theory um it has a specific practical and moral purpose a theory is only critical on this view um if it is targeted towards emancipation 
from oppression, from slavery in the context of oppression. So it's not any old social criticism. I mean, the kind of work that we do as cultural philosophers and apologists as the Institute, that for them is not critical, right? Uh, it may be social criticism, but it's not critical. It's not a critical theory because it's not directed at this peculiarly Marxist notion of uh, emancipation from oppression within the context of a conflict theory, view of reality. So um, it's only critical insofar as it brings some kind of liberating influence. And by a liberating influence, they don't mean, of course, the gospel. They mean, does it liberate you to, to fulfill your human desires and meet your human needs? Nothing to do with God, God's law, God's requirements, or any hierarchical demand that may come from above. It's purely, it's critical if it brings a liberating influence to, so that you are, you are free to satisfy, satisfy your desires and your needs. So that's related to, of course, the notion, you know, that objective truth is impossible. Um, critical theories, uh, again, here you have, they're caught on the horns of a, of a dilemma in terms of, uh, you know, uh, our apologetic, our defense, mm -hmm. our, our rebuttal of this idea um, because if these critical theories are always uh, provisional and and are simply a, um, a, a a knowledge product that is that emerges from the the interests and the values of the producers, then why should anybody else accept it? Right. But that's a you know the, their theories are just knowledge products that that are driven by their values. Mm -hmm. So so they they radically relativize truth. Mm -hmm because there's no, there's no anchor for it. There's no foundation for it in God or revelation. So that's, objective truth is an impossible ideal. Knowledge reflects uh, the interests and values of the producers. So all thought is radically relativized by critical theorists. That's another reasons why, reason why Christians have to reject it. So that's how they use the word critical. And theory is, is also capitalized in critical theory because it's not being employed as an abstract noun in the way in which we would commonly use it as well. So we would speak, think, speak of a theory as a model, as a hypothesis, mm -hmm. right? Uh, a, a something that you test. Mm -hmm. um, you, you, you've got a, uh, an idea. Um, it begins as a sort of loose hypothesis. As it gets firmed up, it becomes a theory. That's the way we tend to use it in the abstract. But they don't mean it that way. By, by a theory... Uh, they mean this this ethical freight, a certain method, a certain mode of thought, mm -hmm. a tool, a tool centered in a worldview, right? right that we've talked about, mm -hmm. critical social justice. Mm -hmm. So it's not a critical theory unless it carries that kind of freight, unless it's a a particular methodology that's saying we are going to subvert mm -hmm. we're going to we're, we're going to use a particular theory that subverts that overturns that emancipates uh, from a structure mm -hmm. and unless it's that it's an oppressive structure and unless it's that rooted in essentially this atheistic framework it's not a critical theory um, now you might have you know professing Christians attempt to use this methodology. Mm -hmm. um, and there are professing Christians who are trying to use these um, methods, mm -hmm. but methods are never value neutral. And we've talked about that right. before, mm -hmm. fact and value. Um, 
you, 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 the, the methods that they are using, the critical theory methods, are grounded in a worldview that denies all normativity, denies objective value and truth, right. denies the existence of absolute truth and justice. So those methods are about subversion and overturning, mm -hmm. and they are therefore revolutionary. So that is the nature of a critical theory. It's much more than an analytical tool, in other words. Mm -hmm for academics and philosophers to use. It's a philosophy and a worldview that's applied to all of life. And that's why when we kicked off the program, Ryan and Nathan, you were talking about the various expressions, you mm -hmm. know, of, um, you know, intersectionality, mm -hmm. white privilege, mm -hmm. this, that, and the other. Mm -hmm. um, queer theory. Queer theory. Sure. Um, uh, indig uh, the uh, truth and reconciliation, mm -hmm. all these different things. Mm -hmm. Because... It's a worldview that applies to all of life. And a critical theory, according to the critical theorists, is only adequate, it's only authentic if it's entirely comprehensive, hmm. right? right? And by that, they mean a critical theory has to be explanatory, it has to be practical, and it has to be normative all at the same time. And yet a theory. Right. <laughs> it's got to be, which is, which shows you it's rooted in worldview. It has right, to be explanatory. Right. Mm -hmm. It has to be practical. It has to be normative. What does that mean? Well, it has to be, ex it's explanatory because it has to identify what's wrong with a given social condition. Mm. So if we were to take um, queer theory, for example, a more contemporary uh, form of critical theory with the like of Judith Butler, um, what's wrong with a given social condition? Well, we've got this privileging of heterosexual, relationships we've got the for her we've got this uh, i should say for they according i think for what she wants to be identified as mm. uh, but it's actually her mm -hmm. um judith butler she her mm -hmm. um it's probably uh, a microaggression right it probably there. is <laughs> <laughs> uh the 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 privileging of heterosexual relationships marriage family is a form of oppression mm. that's what's wrong that's the social condition. So it's explanatory. Then it's got to be practical. It's practical. A critical theory is going to be practical because it has to highlight what and who is required to change the situation. So what is required to change the situation? Uh, we need to change the language regime, and we need a whole army mm. of uh, activists mm -hmm. who are going to infiltrate all the institutions, the corporate world, the schools, the cultural institutions that shape culture to uh, begin to overturn mm -hmm. um, with the tools of language uh, this injustice. So mm -hmm. it's practical and it's normative, finally, because it's providing a criterion for criticism with with uh, concrete and achievable goals. What's the criterion for criticism? Uh, a, a very... Um, elusive and um, uh, obscure idea of language theory, mm. right? That language doesn't refer to anything concrete. There's no la there's no logocentrism. That is, there's no word from God. There's no Christ, no logos who speaks the word. Meaning is merely the use of words. Mm -hmm. So change the use of the words, you alter the meaning. So there you have the criterion for criticism, language theory, uh, that will give you a concrete achievable goal for social transformation. And, and, and I want to close on, on, on this thought, at least my comments before you guys uh, mm -hmm. wrap this up, mm -hmm. is that think about how uh, this is the absolute antithesis of 
the biblical message of biblical worldview of the Christian understanding of reality. God in scripture speaks the word. So at the beginning in the book of Genesis, we have the 10 words and God said mm -hmm. 10 times. Mm -hmm. So he defines reality, creation, and all meaning. So we have a creation order, mm -hmm. right? Uh, Ryan, you made the point that it's so interesting how no God, no law, mm -hmm. there cannot be any law. Right. Well, the next time God speaks 10 words are in Exodus 20, yep. when uh, God speaks the 10 commandments, mm. the 10 words. Mm -hmm. So you have a connection between creation's 10 words, the creation order, mm -hmm. and God's voice again. It wasn't Moses' voice that the people heard. It was God's voice from the cloud at the mountain speaking the 10 words. What was he speaking? Law. How do we translate Torah? Law is instruction. In fact, some of the, 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 the newer English translations, like the Holman Christian Standard Bible, translate law, Torah, instruction. Mm. Break down that word. Instruction is in structure. You are in structure. God's law is instruction. It means you are in structure. The creation word gives you the law order. The, the 10 words at the mountain reminds human beings they are in structure. All critical theories are a denial that you are in structure. Mm -hmm. It's a denial of all law. It's a denial of creation. It's the breaking down. It aims at the breaking down of all existing social ideas, norms, and structures as oppressive. And God is the ultimate oppressor, the ultimate patriarch, mm -hmm. the ultimate uh, father figure, the ultimate... Um, uh, masculine uh, personality that um, uh, what's the uh, the um, authoritarian personality mm -hmm. that they talk about today God's the ultimate expression of that and stands in the way of a radically a radical egalitarian democratization of all of life life must be arranged purely around a rational social consensus that's what they want God must be overthrown church family, society, cannot be under the lordship of Jesus Christ. It is anti-structure, mm -hmm. anti-meaning, anti-God to the core. It is a Trojan horse. Look how it's ripping apart already. Mm -hmm. I think Vody Bockham's book, uh, Dividing Line, is a good fault illustration. Lines. Sorry, Fault Lines. Right. Um, is a good illustration of, as he discusses some of the popular practical mm. implications of all of this in the church right. how this is already uh, uh, in the life of the church and dividing people because a trojan horse has been smuggled into christianity right. so we'll, we we pick up and i, I want to pick up on some more of those themes again next time but i think this is the subversive character of what mm. we're dealing with right i mean at root it's a it's a refusal to bow the knee to christ mm-hmm and uh, Joe, I really appreciate that overview, and I hope it's helpful for, for many of our listeners as we, as we try to discern how to respond to a lot of this uh, nonsense, really, that's floating around us in culture. And uh, we hope to get really practical with, uh, with our episode next week as we continue with this discussion. Um, Ryan, I know at the end of uh, the podcast last week, you mentioned the online portal. Any updates mm. there? Do we still need beta testers? Yeah, that's right. Thanks for uh, throwing that back. Uh, Absolutely, we would uh, we'd love to have some more beta testers. We've been very very grateful for the response uh, mm -hmm. from listeners from our audience so far. Uh, we can always use more. We love your feedback. Uh, it's been 
thoughtful. Mm-hmm. It's been helping us to be, to create a better product for for you guys. Right. So uh, shoot us a note. We'll uh, we'll get you set up with a uh, a beta testing account, and uh, look for uh, look for that to be online in its full version uh, very soon. Great. Once we get all your feedback implemented. Great. Yeah, thanks, Ryan. And and thanks, Joe. Thanks for the conversation, guys. And uh, that's it for, for today's episode. But again, we'll continue with part two of our discussion on critical theory next week. Thank you for listening and supporting the work of the Ezra Institute. This has been the podcast for cultural reformation, reminding you that from him, through him, and to him are all things. To God be the glory.